England. Oh, just a Justin Madden's got the set. One hand. Oh, oh, oh. oh the post is broken. Matthews in it. Oh, talk about a he-man. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. This is your football life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. And that's exactly what we're doing today. And welcome Australia and in fact the world by the World Wide Web. What technology this has been. We're getting response from the Northern Hemisphere like you wouldn't believe of Australians and non-Australians who stumble across This Is Your Footy Life and are just amazed at what stories we're telling. Well, they're not stories. They're great energetic uh, excerpts from people's lives who have become household names. And today we have a one in uh, in a few men who are going to stand out. I used to call him Little Big Man on 3RW, and that was just as a tribute to Dustin Hoffman in that wonderful motion picture. But in the VFL and AFL, thousands of men have played the game at this the highest level. Some play and move on. Others mo- uh, make more of an impact. They make a lasting impression, such is the case with today's guest. Now listen to this very carefully. 283 games at the highest level for Footscray uh, dash the Western Bulldogs from 1986 to 2002. The 1990 Brownlow medalist, Footscray team of the century, only player to have won a league best and fairest in all three levels, under 19s, reserves and at the top level. He is, of course, Libba, and that's what we affectionately known as, and he's Tony Liberatore. He's joined us today, Libba. How you going? Hi, Rex. How are you? Well, terrific. And you must feel really, really warm and proud when I read out that record. Uh, it's something that you and your family can be very, very proud of. Oh, certainly, Rex. You know, it's probably over, you don't appreciate uh, all the great things you did in football until you retire. And um, certainly, uh, it's, 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 it's gratifying to be uh, acknowledged, that's for sure. So many people talk about premierships and the great camaraderie of premiership. You know, Jack Dyer described many of us at Richmond in the 60s and 70s as good ordinary players. They put us with the stars. But every year we get together and talk about those premiership days. Is there just a hollow part of you that just sort of says, what if? Or do you reckon Footscray did the very, very best with what they had? Oh, certainly, Rex. I mean, that's obviously what you play football for. I mean... it's not uh, that, you know, you, you, you go and won individual awards. It's all about team and winning premierships, and you were lucky enough to do that yourself. So yep. that's certainly something that we that I, that I would, would have liked in my lifetime. But unfortunately, uh, I didn't get to that stage. Played reserves and under-19s, and um, that's probably about it. But, you know, we got close a few times. But uh, unfortunately, uh, maybe Lady Luck wasn't on our side. But, um, yeah, that, that's that's the way it goes. And, um you, you just you, you move on, but certainly to, to play in a premiership is what every VFL, AFL player's dream would be. Well, you went through it all at Footscray and the Western Bulldogs, you know, from being the uh, bottom dwellers to really challenging in those preliminary finals. Uh, we'll go back to 1966 in February when you were born here in, uh, in Australia. Uh, tell us about mum and dad and their immigration out from Italy. Yeah, well, I guess Dad came out first, and um, back in those days, he was sent to a place called Bonigilla, which is not far from Shepparton, and a lot of the Italian migrants went out there, and he uh, he spent his time there before he actually was looking for work, and, um, you know, Dad was just basically a, a labourer, and he worked uh, worked at various jobs in 
in tyre factories. Um, he, the longest job he probably held was um, at Ford Motor Factory where he, he worked on the assembly line. And um, from then, um, look, mum came out probably prior to that, but, um, you know, they came out on a boat uh, back then. That's that's what ha- that's how the migrants came out, especially from Italy. And, and they set up a, a life that uh, they would start, you know, from obviously renting a house to owning a house. And um, they were... They, most of their lives, working life, they, they lived in Brunswick and where mum still resides and she's 85 and I still take her to the football wow. now. So wow. she, uh, she loves her football. But certainly they uh, had a, a, a very tough life, but um, no doubt dad, dad was a very uh, oh, a very humble man. You know, he passed away probably about over 18 months ago, but yes. um, that's probably the, the, the word I could probably describe. He, he didn't really, he was very happy just to be, he was quite grateful actually from the Australian government just to, to give an opportunity to, to work and, and build a house and yeah. eventually have a holiday house. And, um, yeah, you know, he uh, he loved life. And he certainly, uh, you know, when my twin brother and I, Freddie, started playing football under nines at Brunswick City uh, in the Essendon District Football League, they first, they came out and supported us. And um, I had an older brother, still have got an older brother, older sister, yeah, who uh, played in different sports. And, um, yeah, we just sort of progressed from there and, and uh, yeah, that, they were massive influence in my life, and certainly uh, mum and dad. And uh, and luckily enough, mum's still alive and doing really well at 85. And wonderful. Um, I take her to the football as much as I can, and she's really enjoying the uh, watching Tom, his, her grandson, play footy. We'll get to Tom in uh, in a few moments' time, but uh, this is Libba, folks. You probably recognise the voice, Tony Liberatore, the little big man <laughs> with the big chest and the heart that just <laughs> was pumping out there when I was broadcasting on 3RW. So the under nines, uh, you sort of uh, you got straight into Australian football, or did you try soccer? Just tell us about those early years before you got invited to go to uh, to Arden Street, North Melbourne. Yeah, look, I guess all the kids at school played footy. Um, I went to St Joseph's, West Brunswick, and um, they said there was a club starting up down the road, um, down the hill, bottom of the hill, uh, Peacock Reserve, called Brunswick City, and. And I thought to myself, okay, well, yeah, let's 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 uh, you know, you just it just you just play with friends and we, football was it was the big thing back then and then I was actually a Richmond supporter growing up because my cousins broke for Richmond and we went to a few games we we didn't get the opportunity to see many uh, you know, the odd MCG game but we we certainly watched Brunswick play in the VFA because um, I didn't live too far from the ground just a you know probably a K from the ground but yeah I played there my twin brother Fred and I played and we played uh, from under nines up until probably about under fifteens and. Back in those days, there was zoning, and um, we were zoned to North Melbourne. Um, and I was invited to play when I was 16, 17, so probably 17, uh, with the North Melbourne under-19s, coached by Dennis Pagan. And, wow. Um, a few of the Brunswick kids were got... We all sort of went down to training there a few times a week, and then we really understood what football was about under Dennis, and he's probably, um, throughout my football career, probably one of the greatest influences for me because... Wow. Uh, he 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 was someone who he basically you know this is the way if you want to play AFL football this is what you have to do yeah and you know we'd, we'd get the phone calls on a Friday night to make sure you're you're ready ready to go playing under 19s because back in those days when we played under 19s we actually played on the opposite ground of the seniors so um, if North Melbourne was playing say Richmond at the MCG we would play at Arden Street at the same time but opposite times and from then I guess uh, yeah look I think. Dennis liked the way I played played the game. I was probably wasn't 
over in Dow with a, enough, a lot of skill, but um, certainly uh, I persisted and um, I had to work hard at my footy. Um, and from there, I probably, you know, my first year there, I, didn't, um, I think it was 83, and we played in a grand final but lost, and I was on the bench uh, when I was 17. And we played Melbourne, we lost that game, and then from there, uh, 84, we were lucky enough to win the grand final, and yeah. I did win the Morish medal. Then. And the Morish medal, and, and those are the days, Tony Liberatore, too, that there were three grand finals on the one day in that last Saturday yeah. in September, wasn't it, that you'd start about 9 o'clock in the morning kicking the frost off the ground? Yes, yes, I can remember Jack Edwards calling my name and, <laughs> um, a times and some of those uh, great old commentators who, it's amazing, you know, you, you, you look back on it now and um, it, it's, it was, it's fantastic. And Yeah. Um, look, yeah, so from, and then I was, and then then I had the opportunity to play some reserve grade football. So I think I played a few games in the reserves in 84 and 85 and 85 was my last year and we were runners-up in 85, and um, from then I sort of thought you progress naturally progressed to play uh, reserve-grade football, get on the senior list, but unfortunately that wasn't the case, and um, I was left in limbo a bit because I'd played, uh, I probably played about 12, 20 reserve games and a lot of under-19 games, didn't miss a lot of football, and I was told that you know I didn't make the, the, the cut, so I thought to myself, well, it was a real dream of mine, and mm. I said to Dennis, who was still coaching under 19s, like, "What do I do now?" He said, "Well, look, look, son, the best thing to do is probably play at the best next level, which was the VFL." And I, uh, I was pretty heartbroken to be quite honest, because I had my my heart set on playing AFL football or VFL football back then. So from there, I, I had a training run in Port Melbourne, and they invited me down, and I was actually was pre-season, I was that far ahead of them. I was. <laughs> I thought to myself, I'm, I'm, I'm lapping these guys in the time trials and the yeah. sprints and what have you. And I thought to myself, no, there's got to be another way. So I remember I was working for a company called Legal in General as a mail clerk and um, opening and closing mail. And uh, I, there was an uh, insurance agent called Trevor Ashman who, who I spoke to once and he said to me, he said, well, why don't you just give him a call? You know, like he, he sort of encouraged me to, because I got to know a lot of the agents quite well and give a couple of footy clubs a call, try a few of the clubs, see what you think. So I've just off my own bat, I rang up St Kilda, I think Hawthorne and North Melbourne because I thought they were the teams that might need some uh, rovers. Cause, and back then, I think, um, you know, I think Graham Jelly was coaching St Kilda and I yes. spoke to him and he sort of said, look, we're, we're okay, we've got enough little guys. So, But, you know, I know you've won the Morish medal, but I think they looked at my height as a bit of a dis- disadvantage and... Um, so um, Hawthorne, I don't think I can't remember who I spoke to there, but they had John Platten coming over. I think that was '86, or might have been a couple other guys. But then Mick Mulder's coach North Melbourne, and he said, "Look, can't promise you anything, but come down and have a training run." So, as you know, back in those days, '85, uh, '86, they were um, there was a lot of players trying out, and was, you'd have up to 70, 80 guys on the track pre-season. Oh, you know, tell me about it. coming down for a training run. The March champions, liver. The mar- <laughs> well, and when it got uh, wet and you got a corky, they were nowhere to be seen. <laughs> yeah, very, very you true. add them to at your club. <laughs> yes, and, I, I, and I, we had a ver- another a, a very funny man in Simon Beasley who was a bit of a character <laughs> of the club. And I'll tell you the story. I, my first training session, I rocked up to the ground and I wasn't much taller than I am now. I guess I was small, but um, I was one of the smallest men on the on the ground and um, or young fellows on the ground and. Um, 
I was running around and we were all doing our stretches in this big circle, about 70 of us. And Simon said, looked over to me and said, hey, little fella over there, the curly hair, <laughs> you've got the wrong ground. You should be at, at Flemington. You're a jockey, aren't you? <laughs> so uh, Very dangerous yeah, to was, say that, Simon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't build a, uh, a bigger ditch in the ground to try and get under Goodness because me. I'm so embarrassed. But, uh, uh, um, what, we, what we might do is just take a break and get you from North Melbourne to Footscray. But before we take a break, on behalf of Tobin Brothers, folks, this is Tony Liberatore. You just know him as Liber. He's one of those guys in the game. You, you talk about Liber, you know he's a little big man with a big heart. Before we go to the break for Tobin celebrating your footy life, Tony, uh, just a couple of off-the-cuff uh, answers. I think I know the answer you're absolute favourite uh, food of all time? <laughs> My mother's <laughs> lasagna. <laughs> and you'd be in trouble if mum heard uh, anything different. Uh, Tony Liberatore, when you get around to it, I'd like to do this for myself. Oh, look, I'd, I'd love to see the Bulldogs win a premiership. You oh, know, wow. Uh, with, obviously, with Tom playing there, that would be a great highlight. You know, look, I've, I've been lucky enough to travel a fair bit overseas, but, you know, that's, to me, it's more what it's all about. Can, it's what it's all yeah, about. Ask that, your mum. It's about family. Uh, my mm-hmm. all-time favourite movie is... Raging Bull, Robert De Niro. Wow, that goes back. Black and white, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, uh, and uh, Jack Dyer never watched it because it was in black and white, because it was Collingwood. <laughs> and to my mind, to your mind, Tony Liberatore, the greatest Australian rules footballer of all time is... Gary Ablett. Well, there you are. Yablet and Libba, two of my favourites on 3RW. <laughs> We're going to take a, bro- a break, folks. You can just feel how much I'm enjoying it, and I know you're enjoying it right around the world for Tobin Brothers celebrating the footy life of Tony, of Tony Liberatore. And, folks, we'll take a break, our relays, and be back with the real story as Libba heads to the Western Oval. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And Maddie, the common denominator with most of our guests is hard work and loving footy as a kid and mum's cooking. And today, as Tommy Aper would say, the cooking, you know, jumping, running, cooking and other things. Uh, but uh, Libba is an absolute star of the game. I call him affectionately the little big man because he's an inspiration to a lot of big blokes like me who might just uh, whoosh it with an ingrown toenail. Uh, we get to the Western Oval, Libba. It wasn't uh, all smooth sailing. You won the best and fairest in the reserves but you didn't go to Footscray to play reserves football, but you just found it, the four games in the first year. Take us through those first couple of years out at the Western Oval. Yeah, look, my first year was in 1986, and I only played four games with the number 60 on my back. Um, so that was quite interesting. But, um, yeah, look, I mean, I've just, I just found that the pace of the game was quite fast. Um, um, I think the Bulldogs had recruited, took, brought Tony McGuinness over, and... Um, my sort of chances were a little bit limited. But in saying that, I, I was lucky enough to win the Gardner Medal, the Reserves Best in the Comp. And from there, 1987 was, for me, was probably a little bit of a breakout year because I played 12 games. Yeah. Um, and um, I thought to myself, well, I can really start establishing myself. Played a couple of good games, like in the seniors, and I, I was confident enough to, to think that I, I could start, you know, you know, follow the routine because back then, I guess, we all had to yeah. do our apprenticeship in the reserves and uh, from there 
graduate to playing senior football. But this is ridiculous. Uh, Your apprenticeship, you must have been thinking, because, you know, in 87, you just thought, I'm getting there. But back you go again with a setback, 88, 89. Do you think these setbacks are, are more important to young people than easily achieved accolades. Do, 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 you, do you subscribe to that, Libba? Yes, certainly. No doubt. I mean, it, it, it builds character and it also builds resilience because 88, 89, I only played one senior oh. game. And then in 89, I further to the uh, <laughs> only game I played, I was named captain of the reserves. So I thought to myself, <laughs> I think I'm going down with fire. I wouldn't but, think if they had uh, superannuation back there, Libba, that you were sort of no. thinking I might get some superannuation here. <laughs> $20 a game back then, but anyway. <laughs> look, um, look, I had a really great relationship with all the guys I played with, and most guys who play football uh, have long-lasting friendships. And I was contemplating on leaving because I thought to myself, well, there's not much chance of getting... I haven't got a, much of an opportunity, and there wasn't much... I wasn't one who would front the coach and say, hey, how come I'm not getting a game? I've been playing best on ground and reserves every week. I didn't think it was my place. I thought it was a respect thing that... If they, they thought I was good enough, they'd pick me. So, look, they looked at me as a quite limited. You know, my opportunities only arise when, when the ground was 10 foot underwater. So, uh, look, I, I only got it one game then. And then I was going to leave and I was going to go into the, uh, the internal draft. It might have been the first year, 89, yeah. of the draft, uh, well, 90. And uh, I think it was might have been 90s pre-season. And guys like Doug Hawkins, you know, sort of convinced me to stay because I had a lot of respect for Doug. And not only was he a, a champion football, but geez, he was a champion man as, as a friend and as a as a mentor. Um, so 1990, I thought, I am to know, will I stay, will I go? And I thought to myself, look, I'll stay because I I love the guys, love the club, really good friendship amongst these guys. And what what if it's to be, it's to be. And a lot of upheaval happened '89 because the merger was going to take place. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, the club, with, yeah, with, that, that, with a, Fitzroy, that was big out there, wasn't it? With a yeah. huge crowd turning up out there, uh, with with the lady, I forget the name, the, the lady the Irene Ch- Chatfield. Chatfield. Yeah. That yeah, was emotional, and that was that was like Don Scott standing up with the Hawthorne Guernsey. It was emotional stuff, wasn't it? And up yours, Oakley, oh. and then all that sort of stuff. Yeah, un- undoubtedly, and, and you know the, the people from the West wanted a football club and. And, you know, the, the great thing was that the, the club survived. Uh, I think they raised a million dollars they had to raise it yeah. back then. And Peter Gordon got involved and um, as, as a local solicitor, I think. Um, and Terry Wheeler, who was the reserves coach, was appointed senior coach. And I remember the pre-season saying to him, Terry, what are my chances? He said, look, I can't guarantee of a game here or there, but I'll give you some opportunity, you know, because he, he coached me uh, in... 89, I think. Oh, no, yes. he, you know, he was a Williamstown coach. But, yep. um, and anyway, no, he coached me in 89. And um, I thought to myself, look, I'll stay. And um, I played the last practice match. And back then, it was uh, we used to play at local football grounds. We played Collingwood at the Basin. Remember that clearly. And I played really well. And I thought, oh, I'll bet you around one, I'll get dropped. Like every every other every other time. But round uh, one, two, no his word, he, he picked me. And... Um, I, I kicked the goal in my first game. I had about 15 possessions, and I thought, oh, we, we got done by about 10 goals, you know, considering the club was going to merge. I think St Kilda beat us that first game. But then the second game, we played Sydney and Sydney. We'd never, ever beaten Sydney and Sydney, I think, as a rule, history at the club. And Not many people had. <laughs> no, no. And, uh, and uh, I kicked three goals and had a really, a really breakout game, and I thought I really built up a lot of confidence back then. And um, Wheels was a 
extremely passionate man and very loved the football club. And, you know, he did sit us around campfires with yeah. guys like Alan Hopkins and Georgie Bissett and Bones McGee and talk about the history of the football club. It was very, very important to him that the players understood about the history. And I learned a lot under Wheeler. And and the guy who probably helped me a lot was Georgie Bissett. He oh, was wow. Sort of, yeah. He was my mentor. He, he helped all the midfielders. And he'd have me outside on the ground doing uh, trying to... Trying to get me to do drop kicks in a game. Yeah, I remember. If you have a go at a drop kick, it's, it's going to go straight. I guarantee you. And I don't think I did, but but uh, he just he like I'd be back then. It was only um, not even Wheels was trying to bring in a bit of a semi-professional uh, thing for footy. And lo and behold, the '90 season had a really good year. We just missed. Uh, we I think we finished about eighth or ninth on the ladder and um, didn't make finals, but. It was a savvy year for us, and I was lucky enough to win the Brownlow. So. Lucky enough. Now, just, just stop that, young man. You just leave the bulldust to me, mate, because I am the absolute... <laughs> Sam Newman says I'm the prince of bullshit because, uh, I, I, well, I, I, the, no, he no. says, well, bulldust anyhow, but uh, I'm the one that... Mate, this is an amazing story of playing in 1988 and 1990, two games, one game in each, and you come out in 1990 and win the Brownlow medal. If that ain't the greatest story of persistence in the game, I'm not bald, mate. Just fantastic. Now, before you go on, we, we have to sort of just say, you know, the opposition hated you, but you were a prolific tackler. The people at Western Oval couldn't get enough of you on the Doug Hawkins win, uh, wing. They talk about the skill of tackling now. But 25 years ago, you'd already worked out that it is a skill and you practised it. Yeah, look, I, I guess I did. And for me, it was more like, well, if I haven't got the ball, I'm going to try and get the ball off the opposition. So that, to me, it was just, it sort of just come, came naturally to me. Um, I, I uh, as I said, I wasn't tall, but I certainly wasn't someone who was scared to have a, you know, crack into players and tackle and pressure and chase and harass. And, um, you know, I, I hadn't, I hadn't played my any tagging role back then, so it was completely different. The game, well, I guess the game's a bit like now. There's not a lot of that going on, but no. Um, yeah, look, I, I just for me it was just something that, that I had to be good at because um, you know it wasn't a long kick, I wasn't a accurate kick, but I was I was pretty good with my hands and I built up a lot of confidence through tackling and, and uh, I was fairly solid. Uh, stocky sort of play. You, you actually, Tony Liberatore, thrived on that physical sort of uh, combat, uh, combatants of the game. Uh, looking at yeah. young Tom, and I'm running out of time, I've got so many things to say, but I want to get to Tom because he's a son of a gun. Uh, he's got a lot of your characters, particularly going hard at the ball. And did that always, was that always evidence in his childhood? Look, yeah, it probably was playing football at his local footy club at St. Bernard's, but I think. Sometimes I think uh, I'm a great believer in genetics, and I think that he might have had a gene from me to sort of say this is the way I play the game. And he might have looked at me from afar and said, you know, when I was uh, towards the end of my career, and sort of said, well, that's the way you play the game. Yeah, you've got to go and chase chase the opposition and hunt them down and tackle and put pressure on. So, yeah. So look, and he's had a bit of a turnaround in his career as well. And you must think deja vu when you and your mum sit up and watch him with your family. Uh, he's yeah. he's learned about persistence too and never giving up, Tony. Yeah, exactly, and and look, and also uh, that 1990 season, I missed the last three, four games with the knee. Knee, I did my knee, had a reconstruction, and yeah. lo and behold, Tom had a reconstruction last year. Goodness so me, your heart must have been in your game. throat when he went down. He's just a, a fantastic chip mm. off the old block. Uh, yeah. the, the the Matthew Knight's uh, game at the MCG I was broadcasting was more blood there than at the blood bank. You got the <laughs> booze, you got the cheers, that sort yeah. of thing. 
but you certainly made your peace. But back then, what went on the field stayed on the field. It's not so today, but it was just the way things were, uh, Libba. Yeah, look, I guess they were. Look, I had to change my game probably in the 96, 97 season because, uh, you know, players were, were getting off me and, and getting a, a lot of the ball themselves. So Terry we, uh, Wallace, who was our coach, said, look, I want you to become a more negating type player, um, tagging type player. And I thrived on it because I sort of, it was a bit of bit of a survival thing for me because if I didn't beat my direct opponent, I literally took it like that, that if I don't beat my direct opponent every week, well, I won't get a game and I'll, yeah. I'll finish up my footy career. So, yeah, it's probably not something that sits proud with me. I mean, it's, I was, uh, I was just before the start of the game, I think Matty was uh, a bit fired up, which he, I think he knew he was, I was going to tag him. But he started on a wing and he was sort of getting into a, one of our players, Matthew Robbins. I thought, geez, he's a bit fired up today. I wonder what's... He's probably pretty keen, and you better sort him out. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, he, he, he sort of he made a beeline towards me, and for some reason, I thought he was going to try and bowl me over. But I, I, uh, as Charlie Sutton always used to say to me, "We got to shop early." So I, I got one. In, <laughs> I got one in early, unfortunately for him, and. Um, yeah, all hell uh, after But that. you can have a laugh about it now, and you've made your peace on Now, before we go, yeah. the 97 preliminary final was amazing. Terry Wallace oh. got you people out at the Western Oval. The Western Bulldog spirit just came alive and never giving up the underdogs. The uh, yeah. the point that was given, do you still reckon it might have just snuck in? Yeah, look, I, Brad Johnson <laughs> swears blue and black that it, was, it was a goal, but... That, that was an incredible year, 97, because 96, we finished near the bottom, second last, like Fitzroy were last, but we just came from nowhere, and even on that day, the prelim, we, we were very known as a very hard side, very physical type side, sides didn't like playing us, but we had three or four guys out suspended, I think Danny Southern, Paul Dimitina, and one or two others, but yeah, two points, uh, you know, to miss out on a, to playing off in a grand final was an absolute tragedy, but Unfortunately, that then the breaks, as they say, and um, you know we, uh, we we did our best that year, and unfortunately we couldn't really recapture it from '98, '99 onwards. We well, there you are. We could go on for another hour, mate, but you've got things to do. I've got fish to go and catch. Uh, <laughs> your boys got to prepare for the game coming up this weekend, uh, and how proud you and your family must be uh, to see young Tom just following in your footsteps. And uh, Libba, you are a star, and we thank you for your time today. Good on you, Rex. Much appreciated, mate. Folks, if you'd like to hear the extended version of this interview, check out facebook.com, Tobin Brothers Funerals, or follow us on Twitter at Rex Footy Life. We're on air for Tobin Brothers, and they're a great performer because they've got presence on stage, and even after the curtains fall, they leave a lasting impression. These qualities make Tobin Brothers stand out from the rest. Tobin Brothers Funerals is a perfect example after more than 80 years continuing to shine. They genuinely care for families, providing professional guidance and expertise, and these distinguishing qualities make Tobin Brothers Funerals the true performers they are. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. And this has been This Is Your Footy Life with the little big man, Libba, Tony Liberatore. Thanks to Tobin Brothers, celebrating lives.